Good morning. <laughs> morning. Wait. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How are we doing? Yeah? I think you can talk. Come on, I think we've gone through this enough. You can say hello back. We can talk to one another. Um, well, my name's Paul, uh, one of the elders at King's Community Church, and uh, we are working our way through uh, the Old Testament book of Joshua. So please do turn to chapter 7 uh, with me. There are some lives in the Bible that we're called to emulate, and we read their stories and we think, oh, they, they look like Jesus. They're people who are following in the footsteps of Jesus, and they're, they're increasingly looking like Jesus. And we think, oh, I, I, these are people that I'm to imitate and to emulate. Uh, we come across the life of someone uh, in chapter 7 of Joshua as to someone that we're not called to, to emulate. And there are stories throughout the Bible of these types of people as well. And really, they're warning signs for us as followers of Jesus of what it looks like if you follow into sin and turn away from Jesus. And these, these are warnings. These stories are, uh, should really awaken us and shock us out of any apathy towards sin. Um, they should uh, cause us to think again about our own lives and the lives of the people around us that we're in a community with. Um, and the reality is that we can become dull to sin in our lives. We can become dull to it. We can be happy with it either being a squatter that we can't get rid of in our life or a lodger that we've welcomed in and we don't want to leave. <laughs> So either a squatter or a lodger. And sin can sit there in our lives, maybe for many years. We might experience some uh, measure of victory over that sin. And yet somehow in our heart, we, we welcome it. Maybe we don't want it to leave or we just feel like we can't get rid of it. Today we'll see sin from God's perspective. Not from human perspective where we might dull it down, we might excuse it, we might welcome it in. But we will see actually sin from God's perspective. In verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The context here is that they just defeated Jericho. They had won an overwhelming victory against the people uh, of Jericho. Um, and yet they were told in chapter 6, uh, verse 18 and 19, to keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and all the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So they were given a very clear directive to, to take the devoted things and put them in God's treasury, to not take them uh, for themselves. But as we see at the start of chapter 7, there was one man, Achan, who decided not to follow God or to listen to him or to obey what he had said and actually acted unfaithfully. Achan stole from God, insulted his holiness, his right to command. This is the commander of the armies who said, don't do this. And Achan de deliberately went against God's command. 
We learn a couple of things here. Firstly, we learn that God hates sin. It says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 9, that the Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. This is God's disposition towards sin. God doesn't sweep it under the carpet. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't excuse it. The Lord detests the way of the wicked. And secondly, we see here in this verse that actually God holds Israel collectively responsible for Achan's sin. I don't know if you read that. It said that the Israelites acted unfaithfully and that the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The people of Israel were in a covenant relationship with God. That meant that God made some promises to Israel and that Israel made some promises back to God. And the Israelites were not proving faithful in their part of the covenant relationship. Israel was like a balloon, one pinprick of sin, and the whole balloon popped. For us today as a community of faith, as a, as a church, we actually fool ourselves if we think that our sin only affects us. No individual Christian can sin without it affecting the whole church. No child of God can grow cold in their spiritual life without lowering the temperature of everyone around them. And it's like a, a warm drink that you've got. and You put an ice cube in it and the, the, the drink becomes cold. Sin is like that ice cube. It lowers the, the spiritual temperature of those around us. This is the context for this passage for the whole of chapter 7, it is that, in verse 1, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And from that place, we then get three uh, sort of episodes of the drama. We get in verses 2 to 5, we get the battle with Ai. Secondly, in verses 6 to 12, we get Joshua's response to the defeat that they uh, have uh, with the people at Ai. And then verse 13 to 26, we get uh, a, a more lengthy description of Achan's disobedience. So we'll, we'll look at uh, the first and the third in more detail and, and very briefly um, at the second one. So verses 2 to 5, let's read that together. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few are there. So about three thousand men went up. You see, Joshua went for the higher number <laughs> of the two to three thousand. So he sent three thousand men up, uh, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So Joshua and the people of Israel, they'd conquered Jericho. I think on the back of it, I imagine they felt strong. They probably felt invincible. They'd seen the walls of a fortified city come crashing down just by wandering around this fortified city for seven days. But I wonder if something of them forgot that it was God's victory. We don't see any place in here uh, where Joshua actually returned back to Gilgal, to the place where he was to commune with God. 
where he was to spend time hearing from God. What, what are the next steps? Who's the next enemy? What, what's the battle plan? We actually read that Joshua just sends the spies straight in. He's not communed with God. He makes his own plans. And I wonder how often we can live life like that. Moving from one season to the next, one day to the next, one week to the next, without spending time with our Father. Spending time hearing his voice. What does he have for me? What, what does he want me to focus on? Who does he want me to invest in, in the church family? Who does he want me to love? What, who does he want me to give to? This potential for self-confidence, for, for self-reliance, was the result of, of this failure of Achan and the people of Israel. This deal of pride. We, we have this craving in our flesh to, to do things on our own. It's that sinful nature that every single human is born with and has been born with ever since the sin of Adam and Eve. We read in Isaiah uh, chapter 14... Verses 13 to 14. This is speaking of Satan's downfall, really. It's, it says that you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. Do you get this sense of pride, really, overflowing from the enemy of God? I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Pride was the, uh, the root of the downfall of Satan. Satan then comes to Adam and Eve and actually with, with a, a temptation of pride, um, Satan comes to Adam and Eve. We read about that in Genesis uh, chapter uh, three. Feel free to turn with me as we, as we look. This is really the, the beginnings of, of the downfall of humanity, the beginnings, the entering into uh, of sin. And it's important to see what our history is like, what our temptations are like, what uh, Satan's enemies and plans are in the world. And it says, um, chapter three, verse four to five, you will not surely die. So the serpent is speaking to the woman. We're assuming that Adam is somewhere, somewhere in the midst, but idly uh, not protecting God's word or, or what God said to him. Serpent says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's trying to tempt them with this sense of pride in their hearts to want something that belongs to God, to want uh, something that God had not designed them to be or to know. It's pride that Satan tempted them with. Proverbs talks about pride leading to disgrace, about pride going before destruction, and this is what happened to the people of Israel here. For, for Joshua and the people of Israel, there's the, the, these overtones of, of, of self-confidence, of self-reliance, even the spies going in uh, to Ai and saying, look, you, you don't need to worry too much about these people. Just send a few thousand people. They're minimizing uh, the threat um, because of their self-reliance. I wonder where you might be trusting your 
own confidence at the moment? Where might you be relying on your own strength? Maybe for you it might be a sense of um, uh, self-reliance coming through victory over sin that you've seen in your life. And you think uh, almost that God has given you, therefore, uh, complete victory over that sin for the rest of your life. And you can build this sort of self-reliance almost like I'm fine in in this area. Uh, Alan Redpath, uh, who wrote a a commentary on on Joshua, says that we imagine that because we have achieved victory once, God has imparted to us some new strength which will see us through all our earthly journey. This temptation for self-reliance, it's not unique just to a few. It's the temptation that Satan comes at us to go it alone. Rely on yourself. Don't go back to God. Don't rely on him. You've got this. You've got the strength. From time to time, um, I can uh, be tempted towards anxiety. Just really struggled with that growing up. And um, even this week, just with uh, all the struggles that uh, we've got going on in our life, just that temptation for anxiety to come back into my life. And there's been seasons where I thought, oh, I'm, I'm through this. I'm like, I'm, I've, I've overcome this. I've seen the victory. I've seen God's victory in this and seen, you know, long seasons of freedom and, and peace. And yet each time I, I struggle with it again, I just see that, that self-reliance in my heart come through, just maybe where for weeks before or even longer, just, just that self-reliance building up in my heart, trying to do things in my own strength, trying to overcome sin and the temptation and the pressures that life throws at me uh, until it just comes to a head and I realize, oh God, yeah, I'm not relying on you. And I have to go back to God. I have to go back to him and say, sorry, Lord, I trust you. Please walk with me in this next season. I trust you. Please help me. Um, in this. James chapter 4 verse 6 says that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That as we turn from our self-reliance, we don't find a God who turns us away. We don't find a God who rejects us and says, oh, what, again? No, as we humble ourselves, the promise there in James is that he shows favor. He actually, he actually is drawn towards humility. He can't help but, but be drawn to it and, and show favor and help and kindness and love and compassion. So if, you're, uh, if you can see yourself just in patterns of self-reliance as you try to overcome sin in your life and turn and repent from those things, know that as you come back to God, he will show you favor. He'll show you love. We obviously get that ultimately through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we come not because of our own record, but because of the record of Jesus Christ. We can come confidently into the throne room of God. He welcomes us in. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not our victory. His victory is appropriated to us, and we must always stand in the good of his victory. We never make it our victory, really. And when we do, I think we probably then tip over in self-reliance. We're really just enjoying the benefits of his victory. 
Only because of his grace that we can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It's only because of the Holy Spirit, uh, that the Holy Spirit is our seal, that we're guaranteed our inheritance. It's only because God has given us his armor that we can stand firm. And Joshua's victories in Canaan, he had experienced a victory at Jericho, and he'll go on to experience many other victories. They had absolutely nothing to do with him. Those were God's victories. And our victorious state in Christ has absolutely nothing to do with us. We enjoy the benefits of it. He's made us victorious in Christ. So let victory lead you not to pride, but to humility. When you feel a sense of experiencing the goodness of God and victory over sin, let it lead you to give him the glory, to rely on him. So this embarrassing state uh, or defeat at AI led uh, Joshua into a state of mourning. So if you turn back with me to Joshua chapter 5, just chapter 7, sorry. Uh, Let's read verses 6 to 12 together. It says that Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for, for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They've violated my covenant, which I've commanded to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So Joshua's in this state of mourning. He's realized just just that he's not relied on God. And he he mourns. He turns to God. He he, he repents. Uh, he, He brings the people of Israel into this mourning and this repentance. So their failure... Self-reliance, but we also find uh, then, actually from verses 13 uh, onwards, that their failure was largely due to Achan's sin. It was largely due to disobedience. So let's read from verse 13. Go, consecrate the people. This is God speaking now to Joshua. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. That which is devoted among you, O Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. So we're getting sort of smaller and smaller groups. Uh, it's, it's narrowing down um, uh, into um, Achan. Um, So from verse 15, he who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by, by fire along with all that belongs to him. 
He's violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. I imagine uh, Achan was probably quaking in his boots at this point. Um, Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them. I took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. So Achan's sin, here we read about it very clearly in his confession, is one motivated by a heart of covetousness. Coveting is wanting something that is not yours. It's something that doesn't belong to you. In Achan's sense, these devoted things belonged to God. They, they that he had no right to take them, and God had been very specific about that. Coveting is, uh, is the 10th commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Coveting is at the heart as well of, of Adam and Eve's sin, the root of sin into mankind. And I wonder if, if, you know, if you struggle with this. I know there are times in my life where I can struggle with this. Even might be, you know, just that temptation at the moment to covet, uh, covet a different set of circumstances for me and my family at the moment. Maybe you might covet a bigger house, a better car, more money, better health. Maybe you might covet the physical appearance of someone else or a different spouse or the gifts and talents of another person. You might look at someone even, you know, within the midst and just think, oh, I just would love to have the gift that God has given them. And you can feel in your heart just this coveting of something that God has not given you. Coveting is something that it is really dishonoring to God. It shows a lack of enjoyment that God is sweeter, that he is better than any earthly thing. It shows a lack of thankfulness for what God has given us. And it shows a lack of trust that what God has given us is actually enough for us and that that is our portion in life, that that is what God has given us for our good and his glory. So what must we do when we're faced with, with sin and, and coveting in particular? Well, we read in verse 19 of, of chapter uh, 7, Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, 
the God of Israel, and give him the praise. So he's saying, Achan, give glory to the Lord. And you can do that by praising and also tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So when faced with sin, we give glory to God actually by confessing our sin. Confessing our sin is, a, is, is what God calls us to do. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we're, we're called to confess our sin uh, to one another. Let's just see that in chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that so that. It's not so that you might be embarrassed. It's not so that, uh, you know, you might just have it out in the open. It's not just um, so that someone else knows. It's so that you might be healed. God's heart in us confessing our sin to our brothers and sisters is that healing might come. But confession is, is not enough. We, re- we see here that sin must be driven out. Actually, that extreme action is required, that the sin that Achan had committed and that the, the anger that burned uh, against the whole people of Israel must be taken seriously. They must destroy the devoted things. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. This is the the heart that God wants us to have towards sin, to hate it, to put it to death, to literally kill it in our lives, to embrace the the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, to put to death sin in our lives. And how do we do that? Well, we feast upon Jesus Christ. We treasure him. We replace that which we're coveting. We replace that which we're going after for satisfaction and peace and hope and life. We replace those things with a a greater desire, a greater joy, a greater pleasure. And it's the pleasure of Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful little book that John Piper has written called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. I highly recommend you to get it. You can read it within a sitting and, and it will stir your affections for Jesus. We can so often go after sin and, and we're, we're so focused on saying no to ungodliness, which is a good and right thing. It's a biblical, it's a godly thing that that's often we can be so focused on that that we forget to, to actually replace it with something very positive which is our affections and our heart and our love for Jesus, to savor, savor who Jesus is. I wonder how often you've tried to give something up, maybe in January or you know, just a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's chocolate or Netflix or alcohol or, or, or coffee or something like that. And you've found that because you've not replaced it with something that is actually more beneficial for you or, 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 or will stir your affections for Jesus in a greater measure, that actually you've gone back to those things. We need to replace our affections for other things with affections for Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to do that. 
Let me encourage you to do that with others, to, to in life groups and uh, with friends and family, to stir one another's affections for Jesus. Where you might be struggling uh, to stir your own affections, actually if a brother or a sister comes alongside and points you to Jesus, often that can just be so beneficial. It can be so helpful for stirring something in your heart, pointing you back to Jesus and away from other things. Okay, let's finish with verses 24 to 26. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they'd stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. I understand that this section will probably raise a lot of questions about God's goodness, about his love. How can a God like this be trusted? Is this punishment for sin not too harsh? And it's okay to have those sorts of questions. I'll probably do a video during the week just to try and address some of those or maybe points in the direction of some helpful resources because we haven't uh, got time uh, here to cover it. But I was reminded of Romans 6 where in verse 23, God says that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Achan and his family they were paid the wages for their sin. It was a just, it, it, they, they justly deserved the wages for the sin that they had committed. God's wrath was directed at Achan, and we read there that his anger was abated. For us, the good news today, uh, living on this side of Jesus Christ, is that, um, that God's wrath was directed at Jesus and his anger abated. His anger was turned away. Jesus died so we don't have to. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the gospel. If you trust in Jesus, believe that he genuinely took the punishment for your sin that you deserve, then you will never have to face the wrath of God for your sin. On judgment day, right at the end, when God is wrapping all things up, he will welcome you in, covered by the blood of Jesus. I just want to ask the question, are you covered by the blood of Jesus today? The first step is repentance. It's turning away from our sin and turning towards Jesus. The second step of obedience is to get baptized We're going to take communion now. Let me encourage you to turn from your self-reliance. Turn from covetousness and any other sin in your life. Put your trust in Jesus, in the blood of Jesus Christ. It will never fail you. Jesus' blood 
purifies us from all unrighteousness. Let us lay off everything that so easily entangles us and embrace Jesus. Let's treasure Jesus. Let's enjoy him. Let's stand. Nathan, Karis, if you guys could come up. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, that you are greater, that you are more wonderful than any uh, earthly thing, than any good gift that you've given us. You are greater than those. We will always find uh, you to be a greater treasure, to be more beautiful, to be more lovely, to be uh, more wonderful than any earthly thing. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd help me and my brothers and sisters here to to, to treasure you this week, to treasure you, to spend time in your presence, to spend time thinking about how good you are, how great you are, how wonderful you are, how kind you are. Lord, we want to be a people who treasure you daily, Lord, and help one another to treasure you too. We pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen.